the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. And all of us need to understand this. I don't want anyone here thinking, well, I'm already a believer. Why do I need to know about this? I know about salvation. Well, let me explain something. Whether you're already a Christian or not, these truths are vital that you you know. And they're vital for believers to know because we live in a day and age in which so much error is propagated in the name of salvation and in the name of evangelism that we tend to think that's the truth. But it's not. It's not necessarily the truth. Sadly, there are some ideas about salvation that have been taught so long and in so many churches that they have become accepted truths, even though they are contrary to Scripture. Today on Verse by Verse, as we continue our series of lessons from the Sermon on the Mount, Pastor Steve Kreloff will take us to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, where we will begin to get a clearer picture of the gospel according to Jesus. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving there since 1981. His expository teaching ministry at Lakeside has been expanded to include these daily Bible classes of the air. If you are or have been the parent of a teen, you have probably talked to your children at some time about the importance of the choices they make. As we will see today and in the coming classes, Jesus offers us a critical choice. In fact, it is the most important choice we will ever make. And even if you have already made that choice, this study will be valuable because we will get to see how Jesus, the master evangelist, tells people how to enter the kingdom of God. Here is Pastor Steve. Well, once again, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 as we want to continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. I want to read to you verses 13 and 14 again, although we will only actually look at verse 13 this morning. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, with these words, our Lord begins to wind down this magnificent sermon. This, starting with verse 13, this begins the conclusion to the sermon on the mount. And because Jesus was the perfect teacher, he understood that every sermon must have a conclusion that challenges the audience to do something about the truths that they've just heard. In other words, biblical preaching demands a response to, to the truth. That's what preaching is. It's different than a lecture. It's never content with just unloading Bible information. This is not Bible trivia, trivial pursuit. This is not just unloading biblical truth, but biblical preaching always calls for a decision. It always calls for a decision to be obedient and submissive to the truth that it's just been, you've just been exposed to. Years ago, Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, expressed his disapproval 
of preachers who didn't demand the response to their preaching. He said this, Some preachers remind me of the famous Chinese jugglers I once saw. One of these stood against the wall and the other threw knives at him. One knife would be driven into the board just above his head and another close by his ear while under his armpit and between his fingers quite a number of deadly weapons were bristling. Wonderful art to be able to throw to a hair's breadth and never strike. How many of us have a marvelous skill in missing. What Spurgeon was doing was criticizing Bible teachers and preachers who, who just like these jugglers, never seem to hit their mark. Come close, but they don't hit their mark because they never demand a response to their preaching. In other words, some have a marvelous skill at missing home with the application of the word of God. Now, Jesus wasn't like that. Not at all. After spending the bulk of chapters 5, 6, and then 7 telling his audience how to live as citizens of his kingdom in a fallen sinful world that will persecute them and and not accept them, the Lord now does something that may surprise us. The the tone of this sermon actually changes as he he recognizes that, that not everyone listening to him that day was a true citizen of his kingdom. He knew that there were people in the audience, unbelievers, who were not citizens of his kingdom. And so the tone of the sermon changes, and now he begins to make evangelistic appeals to them. Just like many today, and some in our own church, who hear the word of God week after week, they listen to Bible sermons, and yet they've never actually trusted Christ as Lord and and Savior. And so that's precisely the situation there. There were people who, who heard Jesus speak, They heard him give this sermon. They sat on the the grass on that area by the Sea of Galilee, and and yet they were outside of his kingdom. And so like all effective preachers, Jesus ends the sermon by his sermon by inviting those unbelievers to enter his kingdom, but he does it in a unique way. He sets a series of choices before them. These choices are offered as a contrast of twos. For example, he speaks of two kinds of gates to enter by, the narrow or the wide gate. He says that there are two kinds of teachers to to listen to, false prophets, those who produce bad fruit or true teachers, and they're the ones who produce good fruit. And finally, the Lord closes this sermon by stating that there are two kinds of foundations that we can build our, our lives upon, the rock or the sand. Now, these three contrasts actually represent all the same thing. They're just coming at it from different metaphors. They all refer to a choice between following Jesus Christ as king or choosing to follow our own desires and our own self-interest. In other words, either Christ is king or we're king. He's the king of our lives or we're the king of our lives. And beginning with verses 13 and 14, Jesus presents the first of these three choices by speaking of two gates that stand before us. You have the very narrow gate and you have the wide gate. Those who enter the narrow gate enter his kingdom, which he says leads to life. And those who enter the wide gate uh, enter into a broad, wide road that leads, Jesus said, to death and destruction. Now, as, as Christ invites unbelievers to enter his kingdom, he does it in the language 
of going through this narrow gate, continuing on the narrow road. In other words, that's simply a way of expressing a great truth about salvation. And that's what the Lord does in verses 13 and 14. He gives us several key truths about salvation. And we're going to look at one of these key truths about salvation this week and then more next week. And all of us need to understand this. I don't want anyone here thinking, well, I'm already a believer. Why do I need to know about this? I know about salvation. Well, let me explain something. Whether you're already a Christian or not, these truths are vital that you you know. And they're vital for believers to know because we live in a day and age in which so much error is propagated in the name of salvation and in the name of evangelism that we tend to think that's the truth. But it's not. It's not necessarily the truth. For example, there are those who would tell us that all we, knew, all we need to be saved is to pray some special words inviting Jesus into our lives, even if we don't understand the gospel. And that's what often is passed as salvation and evangelism. If you just say the right words, even if you don't understand you're a sinner, even if you don't understand God's justice, even if you don't really understand the cross, You are going to pray with a counselor who you don't even have to think of the words. He'll tell you what words to pray. You just follow him. This often takes place, folks, in in churches, American churches, churches that claim to believe the Bible. You pray the words after a counselor. He shakes your hand. He may give you a card to fill out. He tells you you're saved, which is the job of the Holy Spirit to do that, not a counselor's job. And then they might baptize you right after that. And maybe in three weeks, you're asked to be a deacon in the church. I just added that, the deacon part. But that may not be that far from the truth. But listen, that's that's evangelism, American style. But that's not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are others who would tell us that you can accept Christ as Savior. And later on, you decide if you want to go deeper. And if you do want to go deeper, then they will tell you, then you become a disciple by embracing the Lordship of Christ. He becomes your Lord and Master. But they tell you that's really optional. Now, folks, that is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that's the message that many are preaching today. And in addition to those types of errors, there are many evangelistic presentations that are so shallow that they actually leave out, they mention nothing about God's holiness, nothing about God's justice. And if you leave that out, there is no frame of reference to understand the gospel. If I don't understand God's holiness and I don't understand God's justice, then what's the big deal with being a sinner? See, the problem with being a sinner is that God will punish sin. God's justice demands it. God's holiness demands it. But if I don't know about his holiness and I don't know about his justice, then it's no big deal. And that's where many people are. It's hard to fathom that someone could share the gospel, what they say is the gospel with someone else, and yet never mention the holiness of God. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in addition to that, often the call to repentance is turning from sin is, is so neglected. If they mention repentance at all, it's usually presented as just change your mind. Now, it does mean that, but it means so much more, and we're going to see that this morning. Repentance involves, and the heart of repentance is turning your mind and and turning away, changing your mind rather, and turning away from your sin, the sin that you're aware of. And so if you already are a citizen of Christ's kingdom, this is for you. You need to listen closely as to how Jesus defines salvation and how he actually evangelized the lost. He's the model for us. These are truths that we need to be sharing with unbelievers. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, 
obviously, in addition to this being a relevant passage of Scripture for believers to know, unbelievers need to know this because this is actually directed to unbelievers. Jesus directed this now to unbelievers. These are the truths they need to know. They need to understand how to enter Christ's kingdom and what it means to follow Jesus. And they need to understand that this is really, in many ways, the the heart of, of these two verses. They need to understand the consequences of not being saved. Jesus described the alternative of entering the narrow gate as he said it's entering a wide gate. And though popular, because many are on that road, it's popular, but that's the road, the broad road that leads to destruction. And so this is really a warning before it's too late to get off that road and enter the narrow gate of salvation. And so knowing these truths about salvation are vital for all of us, regardless of where you are in your spiritual walk. So let's begin to to see what Jesus had to say about becoming a citizen of his kingdom. And we're going to look at one key truth about salvation. It's an important key truth. It is an essential key truth. In fact, you cannot be saved without knowing this key truth about salvation. And it is this. Entering salvation is like going through a narrow gate. Verse 13, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. Now, the first thing that Christ does in this passage is he commands us. He actually, it's a command to enter a narrow gate as opposed to a wide gate. This is a definite invitation for unbelievers to enter Christ's kingdom and to experience salvation. I think that's important to note because there are some who would say that we're not supposed to do that. We might preach the gospel, but we're not supposed to invite sinners. That's known, by the way, as hyper-Calvinism. That is not the gospel, once again, of Jesus, and that was not his method. Jesus did invite sinners, and right here he's doing that. He tells them, enter the way of salvation. But in using the imagery of entering it by a gate, we need to ask ourselves, what is he referring to? Why a gate? Why is it explained this way? Well, understand this. The Jewish people listening to him that day would have been very familiar with the concept of gates, especially as they related to entering a city. You see, unlike today's large modern cities, in the ancient world, huge, thick walls surrounded cities. And at various places along those walls, there were gates leading into the city. Those of you who have been to Jerusalem have seen some of those, those gates. But, but back then, in Christ's time, there was a, a different wall around the, city of, uh, the old city of Jerusalem that is there today. And in that day and age, Jerusalem had 12 gates that were wide enough for two-way traffic. In the morning, these wide gates were opened and people poured into the city and They did their business. And at nighttime, these wide gates were closed for protection from outside invaders as well as as enemies of the citizens who live within the city. However, note this. In that gate itself, or sometimes next to the wide gate, there was a small, very small, restricted, narrow door that allowed citizens of that city to enter at night. The gatekeepers knew who they were and they would open that little narrow passageway and let them in. Now, it's with this imagery in mind that Jesus paints a very vivid picture for us. He wants us to picture ourselves walking towards our city. Suddenly, 
two gates appear before us. One of these gates is wide, and it is bursting with activity. As great crowds of people are entering through it and leaving, and and there's just a lot of activity. But right next to this wide gate is a very narrow one. It, It is so narrow that only one person can pass through it at a time to enter the city. Now, based on this visualization, I hope you have it in your mind, this visualization of these two gates, Jesus commands us to enter the narrow gate and not the wide gate. Why? Because the narrow gate is the gate that leads to salvation. The narrow gate is the entrance into the kingdom of God. In other words, it is the way to enter into a personal relationship with God through faith in Christ as King and Lord. See, Contrary to what many people believe today, the way into God's kingdom is narrow. It's not broad, it's narrow because there's only one way to God and it is only through Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross. And the Bible constantly teaches the narrowness of the gospel. Though many people are insulted by this and many people take exception to this, this is clearly the teaching of Scripture. For example, John 14.6, which almost every believer in the world knows John 14.6. Jesus made it very clear. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, he said, comes to the Father but through me. No one. There is no other way. He also said in John 10.9, I am the door, which gives you a little more insight about this narrow gate. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. In Acts 4.12, the apostle Peter said this, and there is salvation in no one else, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You cannot be saved by any, the name of, of any religious leader. You cannot be saved by Buddha, you cannot be saved by Muhammad. You, it is by Jesus Christ and him alone, Peter is telling us. And Paul said in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Just one mediator. Just one mediator. Now, many people find the exclusiveness of the gospel quite disturbing. They object to it when we say that, that the way to God is so narrow that there is only one way. And they would say, why? Why? Why don't all roads lead to God? After all, in the ancient world, all roads supposedly led to Rome. Why don't all roads lead to heaven? Why don't all roads lead to God? Why Why is it that you say that your belief in Christ is the only way? Why not all the other religions? Could they possibly be wrong? Well, what does Scripture say? Why is the gospel so restrictive? Why is it so narrow? Because God, who sets the rules, and God, who has established the way that people enter into a relationship with him, has revealed in his word that it is our sins that have separated us from him. Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. In other words, the reason that we are alienated from God, the reason that we are his enemies, is because we are sinners. We are sinners. And since God is perfectly holy and just and righteous, his holiness prevents him from having fellowship with those who have sin on their record. He says in his word, he is of pure eyes than to even look upon iniquity with any kind of favor. 
He can't have fellowship with us as long as sin is on our, our record. And that's where the death of Jesus Christ comes in. What Christ has done for us is he has, he has paid for those sins. The death of Christ has accomplished the great work of redemption. He paid the full penalty of our sins. And those who come to him in repentance and faith have their sins not only forgiven by God, but God actually takes the righteousness of Jesus Christ because he kept all the law that we haven't kept. And God puts his righteousness on our account. That's called imputed righteousness. It means that God credits your account with Christ's righteousness. You're not righteous. I'm not righteous in and of ourselves. But God looks at us and sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ for those who have repented and trusted him. You see, this is the reason that entrance into into salvation is so narrow and so exclusive because only Jesus Christ solved our sin problem. How could religion solve our sin problem? How could going to church or any, any religious organization building do anything to deal with our sins? How could our good deeds atone for our sins? How could, how could baptism atone for our sins? How could, how could trying to live by the golden rule or keeping or trying to keep the Ten Commandments, how could, that, how could that give us righteousness? All it would do is show us that we haven't kept that. How could, how could any of that do that? How could a, a religious system that doesn't address atonement deal with this? You see, Jesus is the only one qualified to pay for our sins because not only is he a real man, the man Christ Jesus, but he is also the eternal God, the second person of the triune Godhead, and therefore he is the only one capable of paying the eternal price for our sins. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was paying the eternal price for our sins. And as I said, not only when you trust him, not only are you forgiven, of all of your sins, past, present, and future, but God credits the righteousness of of Jesus Christ to our eternal account. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is to say that on the cross, God the Father treated Christ as if he was a sinner. And when we trust him, God the Father treats us as if we are righteous. Jesus wasn't a sinner, but treated as one. And we're not righteous, but God treats us as righteous. That's that's imputed righteousness. Folks, that's the gospel. That's why it's so narrow. There is only one way. There is only one person who, who is qualified to deal with our sins and who did deal with our sins. That's the real issue. And so the gate into into God's kingdom is narrow, and Christ commands us to enter it if we would be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. My friends, John 3.16 should amaze us in the depth of love it demonstrates. Now, if there were many ways to heaven, that sacrifice would be the most foolish expression of love in history. Clearly, God knew there was only one way for us to gain eternal life. There had to be a perfect sacrifice. We will learn more about the narrow gate that Jesus spoke about on the next Verse by Verse. Thank you for listening. Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff is leading us a verse at a time through the Sermon on the Mount. 
Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving there for more than 27 years. These radio adaptations of his practical messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to listen again to today's class, please stop by our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or download the file for later. We have many previous classes on the archives page if you would like to catch up on any that you might have missed. That's versebyverseradio.org. Now this class was the start of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message, you can order a CD or a cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Can faith in Christ be separated from repentance from sin? Can we accept a salvation from our sin and still enjoy our sin? For that matter, why would we want to be saved from something that we enjoy? Let's plan to meet here again for the next verse by verse to consider these questions and many more. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by We are here to give you strength between Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.